Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live from Roberta's Pizzeria in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Well, yeah, it's middle, middle of the road. You kind of split the difference there. Yeah, what do you think? It's pretty good. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Although most people like the loud, crazy one. That's, yeah, but, but, then, but, hearing, but, yeah. A, but a lot of people said they liked kind of like, you know, like mixing it up. I think middle of the road might be fine, you know? It's, I think generally people like surprises. Oh. You know? Mm, except me. Hate surprises. Do you? Hate, no, it's not true. I mean, I don't know. I mean, how was the last time you were truly surprised by something, Jack? That's a great question. I can't think of an answer off the top of my head. You think about it. We'll get back to it later in the show. Meanwhile, call your questions in to 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. Got uh, Nastasia the Hammer Lopez next to me here with her Vegetti. Wow. <laughs> so, it's yours. Oh, oh God. Even gross. So, Stas, open up your Vegetti here on air. Let's hear it. Wow! It's officially the uh, last time I was surprised is right now. (laughs) Uh, So Claire sent us this, uh, bought us this uh, Vegetti, which for those of you that haven't been following the Vegetti Chronicles, ah, tear that sucker open, is a a vegetable spiralizer. Now, it looks like um, kind of like an hourglass. It's got Two sets of teeth, two sets of Vegetti teeth in different uh, – one's fine and one's coarse. And it's got a little pusher so that you don't get your fingers sliced off in the Vegetti. Now, uh, Stiles, why don't you go ahead and shove a cucumber into your Vegetti? <laughs> no, I'm going to use a – Zucchini? Zucchini, yeah. Start small. She's now twisting it like a pencil sharpener. Oh, yeah, look at that. Yeah. 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 Uh, oh, sick. Now, it's good sound, guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, we are Foley experts. Um, let me see. That sound experts for you folks. Yeah, I mean, it tastes like a... Tastes like... But look, it's good. It doesn't get that... Well, Stas is trying to avoid the middle part, the mm-hmm. seeds here. I mean, I could see these being used in a salad. I could see... Guys, it tastes just like spaghetti. <laughs> it, it's amazing it's like you use starch it's amazing um, the cucumber is kind of cool let's try it let's try it all right one second let me see i bet you the texture oh maybe we should have peeled it first there styles let me see here all right all right let's see ready here this is this is uh sampling the cucumber vegetti i mean look it's not a bad product all the shit. As a, as it's a really top- not. That's not a bad product. As a topping or something? It's nice. Yeah? I mean, I wouldn't cook that zucchini because it's going to turn into like a mess of mess. Well, she fries it. Which makes no sense because yeah. it's a sponge. For salads, that's good. Yeah, for the cucumber part, it's good. But look at the... It all gets compacted. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a bunch of stuff compacted into Stas's Vegetti here. <laughs> she better get out. <laughs> all right, so... What? Gross. Gross. We don't have a carrot. No, I didn't know. Maybe no. they have a carrot in the kitchen they can bring to us later in the show and we can spiralize. That would be good. Like for a topping. What? Shredded carrot? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, look, obviously, like, you know, I got Asian on the mind. Got a so caller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, caller, you're on the air. Hi, Dave. Um, Natasha and Jack and everybody. Um, my name's Bradley. I'm from San Francisco. And uh, I had a couple questions for you. Um, I found this podcast about seven weeks ago. 
Um, and I'm unemployed, so I've listened to 104 episodes in the last seven weeks. Oh, my God. Um, Get a job, man. Like, yeah. but, um, <laughs> you don't want to listen to that I, much cooking issues. It's going to rot your brain. Well, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm helping refurb, uh, uh, do a fa- some family handyman projects, so I'm, I'm listening to it while working. Oh. But um, I, I, I'm, my family does this thing called Meat Fest every year for my mom and my uncle's birthday. They were born on the same day, and we get a whole ribeye, and, um, you know, you grill it all up. And so my goal this year was to um, build a dry curing chamber and um, dry age uh, a ribeye that I got. Um, and I'd seen online that, um, like at Go Pound Salt, that they put, they had suggested using a tray of, of rock salt, uh, or of sea salt down below, um, as like a desiccant. And I was wondering if, as long as, um, my humidity and temperature are controlled, if that's helpful or if that, if that is just a, a kind of, um, a bad way of, uh, keeping, uh, humidity uh, relatively uh, the same throughout the process. Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, yeah, as far as my understanding of it is, the salt is more for, uh, like you say, stability of, of the humidity, right? Because it's like the salt is going to, at saturation, is going to want to maintain a specific um, humidity. I had always read, so if you, the first time I ever read this was, you know, decades ago in a now outdated book, what's it called? The Sausage, the Sausage Maker or something was, was by Ritek Kutas, which was made, oh, it's got, the book's got to be from the eighties or something like that. But he was the first one I, you know, saw recommending, uh, the salt in the curing, in the, in the aging or curing uh, chamber as a, as a humidity modifier. But my memory serves me. He actually has huge amounts of salt and some water there, so that you know you could evaporate water into it or absorb it as needed, right? So it, it would only be a desiccant until it turns completely to liquid if you were in an extremely humid environment. Otherwise, it could be you know used the other way. It's, it just keeps something at the same relative humidity. I forget what it is because it's been a long time, but it's somewhere in the mid seventies, I think. Is that right? Have you looked it up recently? It's like seventy-seven percent or something like this. Yeah, I saw like 80 to 85 was what I saw. So around um, there. Yeah, I mean some people just believe in the mystical power of salt in the aging room period. So David Burke, you know, uh, when he years ago did uh, his steakhouse in Chicago, did uh, an aging room and he literally tiled on the walls giant blocks of salt, which were pretty impressive I have to say. And I think he was serving stuff on that, you know, on that Himalayan salt block stuff. Yeah, uh, I have come to that. Yeah, and it was pretty impressive. I don't know if it made a bit of difference or not because, you know, obviously, you know, there was no side-by-sides, but um, it was impressive. But, it looked cool. So so my setup is I've got a, a 4.4 cubic foot Kenmore um, mini fridge that I've, um, I'm rewiring to um, – include a temperature controller and and I'm taking out the thermostat for the fridge and rewiring it to an Arduino um, along with a fan and a humidifier. But so if I have like that kind of setup and they're all, you know, you know, maintaining within normal range, the salt is like a, a fun extra, but not necessarily something that I need. Well, yeah, except for this, what, so what is the, if you're running the, coils in the fridge right that that will automatically remove 
enough humidity to keep your humidity low enough, right? Then if you have a humidifier to add back in, then you can achieve any humidity you want without the salt, right? Right. Uh, I mean, a salt can maybe act as a, as a buffer there, but it's not necessary. The um, If you weren't running cooling coils that were going to automatically dehumidify the, the – if you didn't have some way of removing humidity and adding humidity, then whether or not salt would be helpful would depend on what the ambient relative humidity of your area is, right? I forgot where you said you were calling from, but it's – San Francisco. Oh, Yeah. So, I mean, you're pretty – I mean, like, you're just – air is pretty nice there, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's pretty pleasant. It's it's a little damp um, just because of the fog, although, you know, it's been nice recently. Yeah. Um, I guess it depends on what block you're on, right? Everything's a microclimate in San Francisco. Exactly. Um, yeah, I, I, I moved from the, the, the foggy side of the city to the warm side of the city, um, and it makes a huge difference of about five to seven degrees, depending on the day. Yeah, that's so crazy to a New Yorker. You know what I mean? That whole concept is so crazy to a New Yorker. Anyway, um, so, so yeah, I would say that you know, it, if in the, in, the, in the fridge you have the – like, uh, it, it, will it dehumidify the fridge as it's working or is it, some, is it totally sealed? Like is it old style so you can see the coils or is it new style so you can't see the coils? Um, so I, I haven't taken it fully apart yet. It's about half taken apart. I'm like in the process of building this. And one of the reasons why I was asking was because um, you know, if I have to put a Pyrex pan full of salt at the bottom, that's going to change the way I configure it. Um, but it, it, it doesn't really have – it's pretty it's pretty sealed in there. Um, oh, yeah. There isn't really – you know, there, there's, there's like, um, there's the, uh, there's the freezer component of the refrigerator that's got like two coils. But I was going to try to take that out. Right. Well, except remember though, uh, these units usually have like the single compressor, and they're running everything off of the one. So if you take the, you're not going to use the, you're not going to use the chilling of the fridge at all. No, no, I'm going to use the chilling of the fridge. But I was going to try to take the. It's got like one of those like mini freezer components yeah, in there. Usually that mini freezer component is actually what provides the chilling for the entire fridge. And it's oh, just really? yeah, and it's I mean if it's the one I'm thinking about and then um, what happens is is they they concentrate and insulate the freezer area so that it stays frozen and then the rest of it kind of doesn't. And that's why stuff that's up near that freezer box sometimes freezes over like things like lettuce and ice. Because remember, they're making these things by the bazillion and they need them to be as cheap as possible. So they only have one refrigeration system in them, not two. And they're always uh, – you know, it's basically just like a, a, uh, like a balancing act to get the temperature right um, throughout the box. So um, you know, the, the – you could shield off like the coil there a little bit so that it's not really chilling too much if you don't want it to chill too much. But it's condensation onto those coils and then the melt off and you got to drain the water out from those coils that's going to dehumidify that chamber for you. Because it's, anytime you're freezing, anytime you freeze water out of the air onto a coil and then you know put it through a thaw cycle and drip out that's how a dehumidifier works you know i mean that's literally right. what they are and so um you know having that in some like in contact with the air in the box is going to definitely provide uh the dehumidification that you that it you know therefore that you could add the humidity back otherwise um 
I mean, otherwise, if, and if you, if you can't use that to hit the numbers that you want, then the salt might be something that's useful for you. Okay, great. Well, that's, that's really helpful. Um, and then I, I had another question. You had um, an episode, I think it was like 96. You uh, were talking about a coffee cocktail called a Shake NATO. Um, and um, you, you said you were, cold, you were cold brewing the coffee directly into the liquor. And I was wondering if that was uh, just grain spirits or what, or like, you know, uh, as close to that as you can get. Um, yeah, and I was wondering what, what liquor you were doing the cold brew in, the extraction in the ISI. Um, it, it depends kind of on uh, my mood. What I use most often is uh, a, uh, a dark rum, the one that I – and of those, the one I use most often is uh, called Ranza Capa, which uh, it, it's called 23. It's not 23 years old. They use like a Solera system. So like you know, one microliter in a bottle is probably 23 years old. But it's a, it's a good, nice um, – it's a good, nice dark rum, and I like it because it goes it goes well with the coffee. But I, you know, that said, I've done it into totally neutral as well. It depends on what you're shooting for. Like we're shooting for like a cocktail, and the coffee flavor is extremely intense. So you know, two ounces of. The, but I also wanted a little bit of that kind of rum sweetness on the nose. But if you don't want that, you could use you know you could use a, a neutral a neutral spirit. But we were using regular forty proof. Um, 40 proof liquor. In fact, the uh, the the recipe for the ISI, the one I always use is the one that's in um, in the Liquid Intelligence and if you, uh, the book. And if you don't, you know, if you don't, I'm pretty sure you could do a look inside on Amazon and, and snag the recipe um, for the. I think it's called Cafe Zacapa is what I call it in the book. Uh, and it's just, um, but you could substitute any kind of liquor you want. The key there is that a coffee infuses so quickly. Uh, into the alcohol that you just have to be um, pretty accurate with your grind, you know, um, and pretty accurate with your timing. Otherwise, it can just go intensely bitter, just intensely bitter, you know. And the whole idea of doing it that way is so that you don't need to add like a boat ton of sugar back to it to make it to make it um, good. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Um, there's a, uh, a race in San Francisco called Beta Breakers. Um, it's like a, the most San Francisco of San Francisco holidays. Everybody wakes up at, uh, you know, 7 a.m. and does and pre-drinks for the race and then gets in costume and runs this race completely drunk. And it's uh, a complete mess. Um, but I do a, a pre-breakfast. So I was thinking about drinking or like making this as the cocktail. Uh, last year we did a Kentucky breakfast. Is it is it going to be something that you said being precise? With is that going to be something that is too diff? You think is going to be too difficult to do? Um, a la minute for a bunch of people, um, you know, at, at seven in the morning kind of thing, or is that is it going to be? Um, I mean, I would, would that be a good application of that? Yeah, I would make the coffee liquor the night before. Let it sit. Okay. And then, you know, and, and it's, it's no, I, I've done, well, I just thought, we did that cigar event. How much of that stuff did we bust out? A lot. A lot, lot, right? Mm-hmm. So it's no problem. You can bust out like a lot, lot of it. Um, it's, and, and it'll hold overnight, no problem. Um, and then just shake it, shake it in the morning. Uh, you know, and then you could do the, either the milk, the, the version with milk or the version without milk, depending on, you know, kind of what you feel like. But already, like, I, you know, 
Man, running when you're drunk, that's painful. Why do people do that to themselves? Oh, no, it's so much fun. So, like, what we do is, so, like, last year I made strawberry buckwheat pancakes with bourbon uh, whipped cream and had Kentucky breakfasts. And you're only going, like, two miles, and you don't, like, actually run. You more, like, walk and drink more. It's oh, like a, a, it's like a, it's like a two-mile, it's like a bar crawl, except there's no bars, and you just bring all of your alcohol, and everybody's drinking in public. And it's the one day of the year where the nudity ban is like is um, not in effect so you know there's costumes and naked people and people thrown up and it's 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 the most San Francisco of San Francisco events so um, this is like SantaCon this is like this is like our version of SantaCon without frightening the children or maybe with frightening the children oh, but no, not frightening no, we, the Santa? well we do SantaCon so like you know we, we we're on that bandwagon too this is like our own special thing um, but you know you it's it, it's it's just this massive they shut down the streets and they like have like you know um it, it's just massive and i know you hate block parties and being outside but um <laughs> it's it it's it's really you know if, if you ever wanted you know people do all sorts of weird stuff and it's just kind of insane um and collective insanity a quarter of a million people show up every year to do this that's so, a lot that's um, quite a lot anyway so, yeah, so, so listen try that uh, so, Try that yeah. recipe out and tweet us at Cooking Issues. Let us know how it worked out and let us know how this, the, uh, your uh, curing chamber worked out. Uh, yeah, I will. Thank you uh, for letting me bogart the show. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, All right we got much. another call. Actually, a few more Thank calls. Yeah, so let's take the next one. All right, cool. Caller, you're on the air. Hey, I just wanted to give you a little bit of encouragement and don't let anybody tell you otherwise. You have to continue the intro with your show in the full New York WWE introductory fashion because that was the first time I heard your show. In fact, I think I I just happened to find your podcast and I the first episode was one that uh, Nastasha stole Christmas trees. Oh yeah. But, but the intro, I'm sitting in my bed listening to the intro, and I'm thinking, what in the Sam hell is this? And then, of course, it turns into a great show with rants and raves. So don't let anybody change your introduction because when I started listening to the backlogs. As soon as I pulled up a backlog, it was like, hello, this is Dave, and this is like your NPR. And it was like, is this the same show? This is not right. There's so much more uh, aggressive ideology here that I want to hear. So don't let anybody change that. Uh, anyway, my question was, how do you uh, clean your um, cast iron? Do you use soap is the, uh, is the question. Yeah, I use soap. Uh, you know, I use regular kind of, uh, you know, the dishwashing stuff like uh, like you have on the uh, on the counter, not the not the powdery stuff obviously but just like regular kind of hand dishwashing soap i mean i don't let it soak there forever but i use uh, i just use scotch bright and uh and that soap and then wash it give it a rinse and then i i always almost always throw them back on the burner for like uh 15 seconds on high heat just to heat it up get all the water off of the pan so that it's dry uh so it's not like sitting and do it and i've never had a problem you know my you know Ever, I mean, it's. I think it's the old, the old uh, cleaners, like alkali-based cleaners uh, or alkaline cleaners, can hose it because it can start breaking down the surface. But that polymerized oil surface isn't, isn't. You know, Dawn ain't cutting that grease. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. Um, and you know, I think aggressive scrubbing can probably be, uh, m- might be able to cause you a problem. But like the regular, like. Uh, you know, I don't use steel wool on it, but I use Scotch Brights and you know chore boys and stuff like that on them. And um, 
because otherwise they get all gunked up, you know. Yeah, exactly. And, and mine stay like pretty pretty slick. And I've I've used it on. I have old uh, polished pans, like a, an old. I have an old Griswold that's polished, and um, you know that I've had for uh, probably you know twenty five years, and and it was probably forty years old when I bought it, and I've never had a problem with that, and. Um, and I have a bunch of uh, Lodge stuff that, you know, is newer, the kind of pebbled surface that's not polished. And it's also fine that way. Of course, that, that, you know, that those newer pans take a lot longer to build up to a complete, like, awesome non-stickness than the old school ones. But my seasoning never comes up. In fact, they're the ones that pans I use most often. So I, ha- I scrub them all, uh, all the time because I have um, – I have like six of those uh, like fajita pans, and they just like yeah. they stack so easy, and so they I keep them right on a ledge above my my burners, and spam a bam, but they're easy to get to, so I use them a lot. But yeah, anyway, all yeah. the wear down that grid. But yeah, uh, yeah you know, if you're going to be an excitable New Yorker and frustratedly excited when somebody tells you that they don't like biscuits, there's no way you can go back to the NPR intro. Because eventually you're going to get all excited. So just stay with the excitement. All right. Fair enough. What do you think, Jack? Sounds good. i got another call waiting. So yeah? It's, yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for the uh, call. What do you think, Stas? Stas is shaking her head. Even though this is radio, not TV, she is merely shaking her head up and down, which is classic Stas. But thank you for calling in. And uh, no, next time, we'll go back to cooking issues. Um, caller, you are on the air. Hey, how's it doing, Dave, Nastasha, Jack, and the rest of the crew? Nice. Hope everyone's well. Yeah, doing well. We're enjoying the very nice good, weather, but good. Nastasia hates nice weather. Do you know why Nastasia hates nice weather? nice weather? This is nice weather. What do you mean? It's not raining. It's gloomy. But oh, you like gloomy. Nastasia hates nice weather because she doesn't like it when people you enjoy know, going outside. You know, I I used my Twitter and I was feeling great and it was sunny out and I said something on Twitter. I was like, I'm a change man in the sun. And then somebody tweeted at me and they were like, Don't tell Stas that. Oh my yeah, because she hates when people yeah. enjoy the outside, especially hipsters. Anyway, sir, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I'm also a vote for your your enthusiastic opening. With that's that's a side note. Awesome. But, um. My question today is, if, if you're aware of any other modernist technique that you can make black garlic outside of the long and slow method. Did you write in the black garlic question? Yeah. So, okay. Just how would you go about making oh, yeah, black garlic if there's a quicker way of doing it? Because the world is so crazy. This happens so often. Like, we have a question someone sent us on black garlic uh, which is totally separate. So, and, and you know what's unfortunate? We have to get. I don't know if you can get Johnny Hunter on the um, uh, on the phone, Jack. Okay. But he has. I was literally talking to Black Garlic. But he was on the show a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I was talking to him about Black Garlic because they make it. And then he said, "Yeah, someone makes it in like in like a couple of days." And I think they just do it by jacking the temperature higher. But I couldn't remember what the protocol was that the guy used. So for those of you that don't know, uh, who are listening to the program, so black garlic is something, and like uh, from all accounts that I can read, it was fairly recent in invention. Um, But the basic principle is you keep uh, whole garlic cloves, uh, whole garlic heads rather, uh, you know, skins on and everything, sealed in a container so that it doesn't – they don't dry out. Uh, and you, you let them go for at like 60 degrees Celsius, like 140 or thereabouts, you know, like within plus or minus uh, 5, 5, 6, 5, 10 degrees. And you keep it for like a month 
or a little longer. And uh, people mistakenly call this fermentation styles, but it's not really fermentation because it's not it's not a it's not a bacterial or a, or a fungal thingamacrap. It's just you know it's it's this, this stuff's breaking down over time at this elevated temperature. And what you get is this kind of like awesome sweet black garlic. Uh, that is 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 awesome, but it's expensive. So a lot of people make it themselves. But and you know the 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 only way I've ever done it is in my Excalibur food dehydrator. But people do it in their rice cooker, for instance. And in the rice cooker, rice cookers are a bit hotter. They're at 165 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. And I've heard people say that two weeks in a rice cooker might be enough. You know, on the keep warm function. But uh, I forget what Johnny said. Uh, I don't know if we can get him or not, but uh, if not, I can tweet him and have him tell me what what the other guys were using in, in Madison. They're upset today, by the way, losing the Madison the Badgers. They oh, lost. Oh yeah, yeah. Yikes. Anyway, oh Badgers. It turns out it wasn't Badgers. It's mushroom, mushroom. Anyway, was that actually done by someone in the University of Madison? Anyway, I digress. The the point is, is that yes, there is a way to speed it up. I don't know the protocols, but it doesn't taste quite the same. It still tastes good, but it's not the same because anytime you're working with these uh, reactions that take place over a long period of time that are very complex, whether they be Maillard or any other kind of reaction like this, the flavor you get depends on every factor involved, including the rate at which it happens. And so um, speeding it up, you might get something that looks the same, but it Probably, and according to Johnny, doesn't taste the same. doesn't taste bad, and it's not necessarily a question of better or worse. It's just it's going to be different. Does that make sense? Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. But if I can get him on the phone, I'll figure out what, what it is to speed up. Because he said that these guys were getting it in, like, in a couple of days. Like, like I think it was wow. under, under a week, which would be awesome. I mean it's not like a 10-minute thing. But uh, and you know what? I'm wondering like what else? Like what else have people experimented with? I know the Nordic Food Guys Lab, uh, the Nordic Food Lab folks uh, did onions and shallots the same way, and they said that that those were um, good. You know, the thing is, is that alliums are so complicated that uh, you know a lot of interesting stuff goes on. But I have like a rice cooker that'll stay keep warm for like you know weeks and weeks. I should just just keep random stuff in there and see what happens to it. I kept uh, I've only kept rice warm for 3 days. I was hoping I would get some sort of miracle rice after like 3 days of keep warm, but it didn't. But maybe I should have left it for like 2 weeks. Like maybe I'll just like divide up my rice cooker, like have some rice there, some onions, some garlic and some other random stuff and just Keep it on keep warm for like a month and see and like kind of note the changes that happen to a bunch of different foodstuffs. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I'll give it a shot. Anyway, I'll let, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll either tweet it on cooking issues or uh, if Johnny gets back before the end of the show, I'll have him uh, figure uh, – you know, tell us the fast way to do it, all right? Excellent. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, man. All right. Thanks for Got calling. One more call here. Oh, okay. Caller, you're on the air. Hey, Dave. How's it going? All right. Doing all right. Yeah, I have to say, I like the loud intro a lot more. Nice. Nice. So we know that our, co- our core folks, the folks that are willing to call in, they like the loud. That's who matters. Yeah. Yeah, got to yeah. play to the core, yeah. baby. I got two totally unrelated questions for you, so I'll start with the first one. I run a pop-up bar, and I do a lot of home infusions and things like that. And I've tried filtering with coffee filters, which are terrible, and Buchner funnels, which are a pain to use. And water filters, which I'm worried strip flavors out due to activated charcoal. They do. So I read all of Liquid Intelligence and read all of Cooking Issues blog and got interested in your clarification techniques, but I don't have a centrifuge. 
So I'm wondering if agar clarification works on infusions or just blended things like your strawberry gin for the first question. Right. So I have agar clarified liquor, but yeah. I'm not super jazzed about it to be honest because it strips it just strips a lot of flavor and um and you you end up having to add some uh water because you got to hydrate the agar and water and um because you obviously the temperatures uh you can't reach the hydration temperature of agar in straight booze uh and so i've done it but i just don't like it you know what i mean it's like uh agar clarifying juices yeah but like doing the agar clarified booze, I've never been super. I've never been super happy with it. I tried it once because I did uh, an event in um, in South America once, and I couldn't get a centrifuge. And I was trying to do. I forget what it was. It was something like it was something like strawberry and gin, but but as a whole, you know what I mean. And I just I just wasn't happy with it. Um, I'm not saying that you couldn't find something you're happy with, and it will work. Right. Yeah. But it's just the flavor is not uh, gonna gonna be that that good. Now you could you could uh, it, you could maybe treat it as something that's pre-watered a little bit, right? But still, I think you're right. gonna strip a lot of flavor out. So, like, in other words, if you were going to do like a carbonated drink where it didn't matter that it was going to come out more watery, then right. sure you could take an infusion, hydrate the agar in the water. Uh, and then like temper it back in, trying to keep the alcohol percentage somewhere around twenty, maybe twenty, thirty percent. Well, I would mm-hmm. say twenty. And then, and then agar clarify. Your yield might not be that high. Your proof will probably go up a little bit over your base level because the water is going to be preferentially held onto the agar a bit, and it'll clarify. And it might taste good for something carbonated where you need like a lighter flavor anyway. But right. I don't think it's going to work that well for let's say a stirred drink. Do you think that um, the charcoal in a water filter would strip less flavor than agar, or am I just should I just plunk down for a centrifuge? Well, I mean, the charcoal does clearly strip flavor. I mean, yeah. you know, you you can taste it. It strips flavor. Right. Even, even if you take something that's clear, for instance, so you know you're not removing particulate matter, then yeah. and you taste it, you can taste a difference after it's gone through a charcoal filter, uh, like a Brita. Right. Um, in fact, we used to run we used to run all of our Smirnoff through Britas to get rid of the you know any residual hospital nose on it before we were using it to do rotary evaporation back at the back at the school. Um, yeah. And. Uh, but I was too cheap to buy the actual Brita holder, so we used to take a torch and melt the bottom of core containers and then punch the filters through the bottom of core containers. That's how cheap we are. Um, <laughs> someone, was, someone was like, you guys have such great facilities. And literally like we're sitting there like melting the bottom of a core container with a torch and punching a Brita through because we're too cheap to buy the pitcher for it. But whatever. Um, so, uh, I mean, look, centrifuges are great. And yeah. I think with, within a year – I will say within a year there will probably be centrifuge there there will probably be a centrifuge that normal people can afford to have around within about a year I would say Right I mean I'm not going to guarantee it but I would say that that I, I mean I would bet on it if, if there's not I'm in big trouble let me put it that way uh, <laughs> so you know if you can hold out a, a, a bit longer you know yeah. maybe maybe you should hold out a bit longer for the for the centrifuge 
cool. All right, and I have another question about something entirely different, one of your favorite subjects, country ham. Ah, love it. So uh, I was wondering, uh, if I want to serve it like a European dry-cured ham, is it better to get one of the ones that have been aged for a year or more or one of the ones that have been gone for like four to six months? Okay. No, no, no. Here's the problem. The four to six-month ones are – some of them are like – they're not that they're low, low quality, right? But the way that they, – they, they, the people who are good at it anyway, at doing faster hams, um, they, they basically um, – they put it through faster cycles of, of, uh, of kind of uh, – of like it would go through naturally and then they, they keep it at exactly the humidity they need to to get the, the thing as dry as possible, as fast as possible, right? So on first yeah. inspection, these hams can look like a like a 12-month-old ham, right? Um, right. right? Now, someone that's doing it – so, OK. Let's just back up a second. So if you were to take someone, let's say, like a Newsom's or an Edwards or – uh, you know, Finchville or you know, any one of these kind of like style Benton's caliber of hams, like t- completely traditional style hams, right? Yeah. And you were to open one of those guys up at seven, seven, six or seven months, right? So this ham would be okay then for like traditional American uh, cooking, but the inside mm-hmm. of the kind of like uh, cushion area of the meat, the meaty part, is going to be really tacky. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's going to be impossible to slice without gumming. Forget the fact that the flavor won't be fully developed yet. But it, right. in terms of sliceability, it's going to be pretty tacky in there. Um, so one of the hams that's been meant to be released after you know a fairly short amount of time might seem like it's lost all that tack in there. However, I've noticed on slicing them, when you slice them and then let them sit, they can get kind of gummy tacky. They're not going to have the same texture. And also there's no, there's no way that you're going to get the same kind of um, flavor uh, in a quick – in a quick uh, thing, as you will in a in a in a slow one, because you'll have the drying, but you won't have the flavor development from protein breakdown and whatever else happens, you know, lip, you know, lip oxidation, whatever in the heck else happens in the ham as it's aging. That stuff just takes time, and they're not accelerating the aging; they're just really accelerating the dehydration of it. You know what right. I'm saying? Uh, and so, you know, <clears throat> what. You know what a what a country ham uh, you know really wants is to go through you know um, you know a full you know a full cycle of at least a, a year sometimes you know better two summers like the you know at the, at the in the middle of that second summer man when they're like eighteen yeah. months that's like sweet that's a sweet spot you know yeah. what I mean so question if if I have one that's that old and not naturally dried out does it need to be refrigerated once it's been cut. No, I mean some people do. It depends on how you how you store it. I used, to, like I say, I used to store mine out in my, uh, you know, hanging. Uh, the problem is, is that you can get certain insects can attack it, and yeah. you, and you can get mites that hit the um, that you know that that create a powdery residue around. That's why some of the old timers they used to spread lard on the on the cut surfaces. Um, yeah, but. You know, the other thing is that sometimes, uh, you know, when you bone it, there's like the, you know, you create a cavity there and like molds can grow in there. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, of course, you can always trim away mold, mold th- that mold on the outside. 
as long as you trim it away, uh, you know, isn't going to kill you. You know, you just got to, you know, I say, you know, tr- trim it away. Uh, the thing about uh, storing it in the f- fridge is that you can store it in the fridge for even a relatively long period of time. But, like, I tend to some like get, like, weird kind of, like, sticky nastiness on where the paper like, – let's say you were to wrap it in wax paper and put it in your fridge. I get, like, some yeah. sort of weirdness on the surface of the meat right by the wax paper. And uh, sometimes you can pick up odors from your fridge and vice versa. Like, for instance, in the country ham fridge at Som, uh, you know, Som Bar, like uh, they put the – for some reason, they put the milk for the coffee in the country ham fridge, and that milk is, like, unusable. I don't know how those suckers are using it for coffee. They, they must love ham coffee. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the other thing is I don't have that much space in my fridge anyway. So. Yeah, so I wouldn't sweat it. I mean, like, the, you know, just uh, – you know, I wouldn't have it necessarily resting against anything because uh, you can get some like weird mold, weird contacts. I mean, I'd keep the bugs away from it. Um, yeah. You know, and if you get if you happen to get mites again, none of that stuff's going to kill you. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, just trim away anything you don't like, and you're good to go. I mean, this stuff is right. you know, this stuff's survival food, man. Yeah, of course. And uh, on final question. I know that Edwards uses um, heritage breed pigs like Berkshire and, and whatnot. Are there any other producers using those kind of pigs? Um, I think I think uh, Newsom's might have bought some stuff from uh, Patrick. And there's a there's a I just went out of my head, but there's a there's a company that produces some really expensive and very delicious hams that are all kind of mast fed. I saw them at, okay. at uh, Star Chef, so you can look up the uh, people who are. But the, the name of the company just went right out of my head as I, as I went to go think about it. But I think it's more and more ha- going to happen because, I mean, that's really where that's really where the future of American kind of country ham excellence lies is in um, in the feed and and the the, the, the the meat itself. Like the like I've always said, yeah. the curing is there. It's just uh, the you know. Um, they hadn't forgotten how to do that right. You know what I mean? It's just the quality of, of the meat that needed to be um, kind of brought up. And I think we're getting there. Can I chime in here? Yeah. I'm Sam Edwards, and I listen to Heritage Radio Network. Oh, nice. I just really wanted an excuse to do that. Nice. All right, nice. Sam Edwards actually cool. one of the original sponsors of, of uh, the, the, radio, oh, yeah. the radio network. Huge supporter. Yeah. He Love has sponsored the show from time to time, but, yep. uh, but you know, anyway, good man. All right. That answer your yeah. question? Hello. Yeah. All right. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Thanks a lot. All right. Cool. Thank you. Um, okay. Thanks. So uh, we're about to get kicked off, but let me just go I'm through. Take a break, what? We're not going to get take a break. Jack's going to fake insert a break, right, Jack? Actually, you know, I have another minute for another caller. I just the lines are off the hook today. All right, caller, you're on the air. Hey, is that me? Yeah. Oh, hey, Dave. Um, on the intro note, go with whatever makes you happy. Mm. See, there's the first person that cared about like what we wanted. Stas doesn't care. <laughs> Stas Stas just made. Stas Stas is making her head her migraine head. All right, I'll go with what's happy. Nice. Do you have a? Uh, but, uh, quick, yep. But I do have a quick question for you. I made your tea time for Easter brunch. It was a great hit. Everybody loved it. Uh, awesome drink. But there was so much good foaminess left in the bottom of the shaker. Is there a trick to getting that out? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, well, so you got to know your like. I don't know your shake technique, right? So when you shake, usually you shake and then uh, kind of like let it drain, and then I'll do a I'll do a snap, like you know I'll like uh, 
because I'm holding the, the the shaker kind of pointed down with my um, with my pointer holding the um, holding the strainer onto the thing, right? And then I'll give right. it a, I'll give it a snap down, and that'll get some last um, little little bit little bit out. Um, and pl- plus, I always reshape. Strain it out. I mean, that's... What? sorry, I couldn't hear you. What did you say? Was that, are you using a Hawthorne to strain? Yeah. So so here's the thing with a strainer, right? So the bad Hawthorns, um, when I say bad, I mean the cheap, like the normal kind of Hawthorns that you use. Uh, you have to be really be careful. Otherwise, you get like uh, too many of different larger and weird size ice crystals coming out. I like, I like a couple of ice crystals in a drink because like I like that little crunch. The problem is, is that it's hard to control with those kind of older Hawthorne strainers. That's why most of the um, – fo- you know, a, a lot of the cocktail people for a long time who were anti-crystal because there's a huge anti-crystal on the top of the drink movement for years in the cocktail world. And that's why those folks – You'd always see them straining through a tea strainer, right? So they would have a Hawthorne, which why would you use a Hawthorne if you're going to go through a tea strainer, right? Don't ask me because I don't know, um, except for the fact that they rest more conveniently. They're easier to hold than a julep strainer, I think, in a, in a tin. Uh, and then they would strain through a, um, um, a tea strainer. Now, the problem with a tea strainer, it's fine for a daiquiri, um, but for a milk wash product, which tea time is milk wash, there's a, a milk washing for those of you that, you know, I don't know. Go go look it up in the in the liquid intelligence, or it's been on the show before. I think milk washing. There's a specific foam from the whey proteins in milk washing, and that is destroyed by a tea strainer. So uh, yeah. so I never use a tea strainer on that, and so uh, that's why I use exclusively the uh, Cocktail Kingdoms like fine the the fine wired. Um, uh, Hawthorne because it's like the best balance. It doesn't let through an inordinate amount of crystals. Uh, you don't have to worry about you know clamping the gate of your Hawthorne down so hard to the shaker that you know you're 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 having like white knuckles by the end of the evening, and um, you know and it doesn't hurt the foam. So that's what I use for it. Yeah, that's what I used as well. And I guess it's just the uh, the snapping technique because after after two or three of those on a. Sunday afternoon, my technique kind of goes sideways. <laughs> well, that they go down easy, right? Uh, but the um, yeah, just give it a snap, and that's going to get that other stuff out. I have had um, bartenders who are used to the kind of older style, like uh, f- you know, fat wire Hawthorns, we'll call them, or coarse Hawthorns, I'll call them, um, say that they that that they're not getting everything out of the shaker and that they're, you know, they kind of upset them. But then if you if you just give it that last snap on the on the way out, I think you're going to get most of that stuff back out of there. All right. Well, thank you very much, and that's a great drink for anybody who hasn't had it yet. No, well, thank you, thank you. Good vote for the tea time. We we tea time styles. We do a lot at events because people people like them, right? Yeah, you made that for one of our events. It was good. Oh, nice. All right, so we're going to get uh, ripped off, and yep. we didn't get to any of the written in questions, but I will just describe the first them. First time to you. in a while, it's been all callers, which huh? I like. I like that. Yeah. But okay, so we got uh, we got a follow up on the ricotta, which we'll we'll talk about next week. We're back here next week, right? We're not anywhere styles, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh. What. We may. Our company-wide meeting might run long. But no, I'm not going to. I'm going to come here because uh, it's more important. Uh, and we had a question on cooking squirrel from Sam Geiger, which is going to be interesting because uh, I've never cooked squirrel, but I will talk about what I think. And we had a question on black garlic and what and uh, and making a tea out of the black garlic skins and what and what thickens them. And, and I real have quick, what we, have a, we have a Kickstarter. 
uh, for a new Heritage Radio website that will make, especially my life, really a lot easier. I, I do all this like horrible HTML coding every day to get these shows up. That's completely unnecessary. All right, Jack, talk about the Kickstarter. Yeah, quick. So the code's expiring on our website. It's going to fall apart uh, soon. So we have a new website that's going to be built. It's going to be really, really awesome, interactive, modern, mobile-friendly. So go to Kickstarter, search for Heritage Radio Network. Every dollar counts. Please, please, please do it well, for what do they get? all of us. So many perks. I mean, at the highest levels, you can get your own show on Heritage Radio. At Ooh. the lowest levels, I make you some ringtones. So, what does it cost to get a, a get your own show on the Heritage Radio Network? I think a full season is a five thousand dollar donation. So that'd be like a twelve episode, you know, season. That's pretty content. cheap, though. They get they get oh, yeah. you doing the production and all this other stuff. Yeah. You should raise that to 10. Your own radio show. Yes, he So like any, any one of you out here with an axe to grind and $5,000 burning a hole yeah. in the bottom of your pocket can come over here. It comes with free pizza at lunch. Did yeah. I mention this? Yeah, we'll do that. Yeah. and uh, No travel or accommodations, though. And for 1000 bucks, you can do one show. That's one episode. So cheap. Yeah. You can have an hour to say whatever you want. Whatever That's you right. want. Crazy. Whatever you want, and they'll push it on the they'll push it on the what's it called there on the website. Yep. You can push it on your yeah. Wow. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, okay, uh, that's great. And so we, you know we didn't get to talk about uh, next week the Tandor. Ooh. I've got a lot of Tandor stuff. Mm. I've been going Tandor crazy. I'll, maybe I'll cook with Tandor this weekend too, and uh, we'll uh, and we'll get back to it. Cooking issues. Listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 